Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, AKA Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm excited because today we have Rick Mount. Rick is the co-managing partner with Churchill Mortgage for the Southwest region. He's with his good buddy, Mike Hardy, who we just recently had on. If you haven't checked out that episode, highly recommend checking it out after you listen to this one, of course. But thank you so much for being here, Rick. I'm excited for our conversation today. Yeah, awesome, Luke, man. I'm excited to be here. Mike had a great time and love what you're doing out there. So appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of take it back, man. Let's take it back to kind of like what brought you into this industry. Uh, You know, I know you've been in the business for a few years here. Um, So, you know, give us kind of like the quick synopsis of the journey uh, over the years. Yeah, I always like learning how people get into this business because I think my story is pretty similar. I don't know that I intended to become a mortgage professional. Sure. Uh, I was uh, in school, majoring in finance, real estate, law. I thought I was going to be an attorney and had a friend that uh, was in the mortgage business, started paying attention to him. And I think probably like a lot of people, the initial lure was kind of monetary based, right? My sure. guy seems to be doing pretty well. I wonder what he's doing. And then I started realizing you're dealing with people and dealing with numbers. And those two things I really like, and then throw the real estate element into it. And so I started paying attention to what he was doing. And then, uh, Kind of fell into the business. My dad knew somebody through church that uh, owned a mortgage company, and I started the hard way. You know, they said, "Hey, cool, you're gonna be a loan officer." I'm like, "Well, is there any training?" They're like, "Yeah, you get a rate sheet." And back then, we had a Thomas guide. You know, they said, "Any of these real estate <laughs> offices that are in this Thomas guide, go take these rate sheets to them and see how it works," <laughs> which That's is the complete funny. opposite of what you should have done. That's how I got into the mortgage business. I mean, I'm a big advocate of people doing some of that stuff. I mean, I've had several people that I know reach out to me and say, "Hey, like, you know, should I buy leads?" I'm like, "No." Now you're starting out. You should not buy leads. You should at least wait a year, maybe two years before you even think about doing something like that. Um, and I do think that they should be, you know, cold call, go talk to real estate agents. Like you don't know how to be a good loan officer yet. You have to learn how to be a good loan officer before you try to learn the skill of converting online leads or any type of leads. It's just not an easy thing to do on top of having to learn how to like structure files and, you know, look up guidelines and, you know, what you need to do with income and all that kind of stuff that a loan officer has to learn. So I'm a big advocate of people learning the hard way because when you learn the easier ways, it's like, oh, this is cool. But you could always go back to the hard way because you've done it before, right? I mean, people that have cold called, you know, tend to have great success in these types of businesses because like you had to cold call. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. And if you have to cold call, anything else is easy, right? Any other conversation is easy. So let's talk about that journey, right? I mean, got in the industry in 1991. Has it always kind of been like a, you know, perfect road or what's the oh, yeah, it's always like? been easy. We've had no cycles or any of that stuff. So yeah, <laughs> you know, different cycles. I mean, gosh, we're in one right now, right? And then every market's right. got its unique challenges. And so, you know, living through, you know, the mid nineties and stuff like that, when FICO scores were coming out and technology was going to kill the loan officer. And, and then we have the savings and loan bond crisis and all those sure. kind of things. And then you know, had housing issues, you know, the early 90s, we had a, a small housing crash in California, aerospace industry sort of collapsed, and people were moving out of California and doing some stuff like that. So, you know, I think the similarities in the different cycles, there's always similarities, but then there's also some uniqueness in the different market challenges. And so, sure. you know, I think the challenge is just not only finding the ability to 
do things right, but make sure you're doing the right things in whatever the market brings you. So, you know, it's been a ride and it's been a blessing. I think one of my favorite things about the business is, you know, the friendships you collect along the way and mm-hmm. uh, staying close to those people. And then, you know, certainly got the scar tissues like everybody else from, you know, some of the things that have been challenging and maybe even some of the failures, right? So I had a business that I lost in, in 07. I didn't lose it. I sold it right before the collapse. And that sounds glamorous on the surface, but if you knew anything back then in 2007, I sold it for what the licensing was worth and the equipment they got because there was no value to the business back then. Right. And, you know, you do what you got to do, but uh, lots of lessons learned along the way, but I still love this business. I think it's one of the best kept secrets. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you talked about failures, right? I think failures, I mean, if you look at it the right way, failures are just opportunities for us to grow. I personally believe I've learned the most out of my failures. I've learned the most about how to be gritty and how to like go through those hard times, how to really sharpen your mindset to get through these hard times, how to, I don't know, just do things in a different way. I feel like if it's always easy, like you're going to collapse when it's hard, right? But if you go through the hard times as you're kind of growing, I've been through a lot of hard times, right? But I would even say last year was like a one of our hardest years ever because we got sued. We had all kinds of issues. The market obviously went crazy. Like I had to like really like learn how to adjust. We had found some people stealing from me. But I would also say the hardest year was also my best personal development and growth year. I will say it's going to be the foundation for the next decade, whatever, for the rest of my life, really. But it's just a foundation for how to be a better leader, how to be a better, you know, parent, father, all those things as well, but just because of all the lessons I learned. So I love that, like, you know, over the years, you've been through the cycles, you've seen the differences. And like you said, like, every single cycle has been different. So like, what would you say is like the biggest lesson you've learned from going through these cycles? You know, I think the challenge you have in any of the transition cycles, right? All transitions are hard because you're coming out of a market you got comfortable in or did well in and figured out what the magic recipe was. And then you enter a new market that requires something different. But, you know, I think the thing that I'd go back and talk to myself about is like, you know, don't lose the long-term mindset, right? Because you're navigating something that's short-term. And I think so many times in my own life, and I've seen other people do it, the biggest mistakes I've made is we're... I made decisions out of a short-term mindset for a temporary mm-hmm. gain, and I didn't consider the exchange I was making for a longer term. Mm-hmm. So I think if I could give anybody advice as you're navigating the cycle, think about 10 years from now and what you want things to look like while you navigate the short term. You know, And, and for me, yeah. that's kind of lifted my chin up a little bit, right? So that I'm looking longer term. If not, you're going to deal with the problems of today, but you're not gearing for setting yourself up for success down the road. So If I could go back to myself and talk 25 years ago, I would tell myself to play the long game, like always play the long game. Don't get stuck. You got to navigate the short game, but you got to play the long game. I love it. It's interesting. I was just talking about this yesterday on a coaching call with our loan officers. It's just literally that same thing. Like you got to think about it from that perspective. You're playing the long game. So you got to think about it in in really in decades and like, what is that going to look like? And what is this business going to look like? What are the systems? And you actually have to sit down and think about what you want out of life. Cause like, it's hard for you to, think that way in business, but not have that also be like, cause your life is part of business and business is part of life. And so it's like, if you don't know what you want for your personal side of things and your business side of things, like things are going to get out of alignment. Cause like, maybe you're like, Hey, I want to produce, you know, a hundred million dollars this year, but you're also, you know, have four kids at home and uh, you know, a wife and all that stuff. You're like, but you also want to spend a lot of time and be a present dad. Like those two things may not align or maybe they do, but it's going to be a very strategic plan for doing that. And I think what people don't realize if they don't think about the long-term perspective, 
they are going to get stuck in that sort of that treadmill of like, Hey, well, I need business for today. And like you said, I'm going to make decisions that are short-term, but a lot of times the short-term decisions do affect the long-term. It's hard. How do you develop that mindset? You know, I think it's wise counsel around you for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Talking to people that have maybe been down the path before you or done stuff bigger, better learning from their mistakes. So I think the humility and learning from other people and then, you know, Mike and I talk about it, my party and I talk about it a lot, but I think especially in the loan business, you know, a lot of people have a hustler mindset. So it's a hustling yep. for today, right? Go find something today, hustle today. And then I think the people that start to do some volume and do things in scale and start to find balance have more of an entrepreneurial mindset and they start to think like a business. And mm -hmm. then the people that really do it well start to develop a CEO mindset, right? So like the hustlers thinking about today, the entrepreneurs thinking about maybe this year, the CEOs thinking about a five-year game plan. And then you get into like the legacy stuff where you're really thinking about, you know, the emperor mindset where you're talking about 10, 15, 20, 30 years kind of stuff. And so I think just taking a step back and looking at through each of those lenses is important, but you hit the nail on the head with the why. Like if you don't understand why it's important to you, then it's going to be fleeting, right? So if you set a goal to do a hundred million bucks, well, you know, you may or may not willing to exchange or sacrifice what's necessary to get there, or you may not be aware of what the exchange or sacrifice would be for you. Right. There. And so right. I think it's understanding that and then does it fit your overarching, you know, balance. We talk a lot about finding balance and things and, you know, I know for me personally, too, like I got into the business because of the allure, the financial freedom, the scheduling freedom and all that kind of stuff that it seemed to present. And as the business grew and grew a business and things kind of run, you can become a slave to the business. And if you're not aware of that, then you could fall apart in other areas of your life. And I think so, you know, I think yeah. it's a constant awareness of where you're at and making sure that you lift your chin up and you're looking longer term and that you are weighing out the consequences, good and bad of decisions you make today. You know, I think yeah, if you're I love clear it. about the five to 10 year window, then subconsciously and consciously things start to line up with making decisions that would line up with what you want. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you know, someone that we've kind of partnered with, one of the things he said is like, a lot of times people have goals and they have values, right? If those values and goals don't align, one of the two things is going to be left behind, right? Typically it's going to be your goals, right? So again, like if your value is you want to hang out with your family, then, you know, to spend more time with your family, then you're probably not going to, you know, do what's necessary to grind and do all that stuff. So again, it's like aligning those things together and like, you know, being realistic. I think, you know, one thing too, is people build the businesses that is based off of what they think they should be doing. Right. Like, so, mm. you know, when I first started, I know that like in the marketing game, like, Oh, there's these numbers that everybody talks about hitting your million dollars and hitting your, you know, hundred K a month and those like things like that. And like, then you hit those numbers and like, nothing changes. Like, it's like, all right, now what, like, what do I do? Right. Like, and there's like these, these arbitrary things of like, I burnt out. Like I hit all these numbers. I hit all the things that I thought I needed to hit and I was burnt out. I hated what I was doing. Like I wasn't being a good father or a husband. I hated the business. I didn't want it. Like, and so like I had to rediscover myself. What is it that I enjoyed about it? And then like, you know, pulled back a lot of the things that I was doing and realized like, I do love the business, but I love it in this way. And then again, I did some values and goals work. And I realized like all the goals were monetary based or were, business-based and there was not like, well, what does my family look like? Well, how often do we go on vacations? You know, how often do I get my own breaks, right? Like, what does that look like? How often do I get to go play soccer or go disc golfing or do those things? And like, people don't think about those things. Then they grind themselves to death. They burn out. They're like, what happened? So I, yeah, I love that you and, found and that. Even when you do get to go to those things, can you be present while you're doing those things, right? Like, you know, did you, yes. did you build a business that could function without you being in it every day? 
Like, yeah, well, those, and people brag about that. You, you learn along the way, right? Or hopefully well, learn. And you see loan officers brag about that too, right? Like they brag about like, oh, well, they're working on vacation, right? Or like you see those memes going around of like the loan officer, like on their phone in the water, right? Like, and they're just like, and yeah. like at the beach, like on their phone working, doing a pre-approval or something like that, right? So I think that's funny. But then I also saw someone that posted, yeah, if you call your loan officer on a Sunday and they don't pick up, that's not a good loan officer. I wanted to be like, or there's someone that had boundaries, but like I just scrolled on because I was like, all right, you know what? Like, if that's your definition of a good loan officer, then I think you've got a broken model there, but uh, Hey, so I love what you guys are doing. I know you guys have, you know, a big team. You run that region. You guys have done a ton of production and I know you've had some big shifts. Like, so how are you sort of navigating this current environment we're in? I know you've gone through all the other shifts. I mean, how is this sort of similar to those? And also like, how are you navigating, you know, some of these different shifts? I mean, every market brings us challenges, right? We talked about, it. I think, you know, like if you look at the market that we ended up in, and you know, in the 2019, 2020, 2021, we were chasing capacity on the way up, right? We just, right. you couldn't help enough people fast enough. And so, you know, as the market shifts and inventory has shrunk a little bit, and the, the, you know, total volume of opportunity available to us has shrunk. And then now you got to chase capacity down the other way, right? And so it's making mm-hmm. healthy decisions without compromising on, things that you need to do to navigate a successful experience and retain your people and, and do that. So, you know, I think the challenge that we face today is a little bit unique in the fact we've all dealt with markets that have shifted and there's been less volume or more volume, right? Up or down both ways. But this market's a little bit different in that, you know, if you look historically, interest rates are reasonable, right? For historical sure. purposes, but they feel really high when you've literally doubled from right? And so there's a psyche part that's in the consumer's head a little bit on, is it safe? Should I buy? Is there going to be a crash and things like that? So I think one of the challenges we deal with is how do you help educate a borrower where they can choose to move forward or stay whatever they are in a healthy way? So I think that's one of the challenges. And then quite frankly, I think if you're going to grow your business today, it's not about doing the same things that you did because it's not going to work. The available opportunities are less. That's the facts, right? Sure. And so for us, we keep talking about how do you go to one to many and narrow it to a one to one, right? And sure. so can you get in front of the consumer? Can you get in their life? Can you be in their life before the need? And then when the need arises, you've already got a relationship with them. So sort of that consumer centric type approach is something that, that we've been really focused on for the last 18 to 20 months. We're starting to see the fruits of that labor. But it's like everything else, right? The law of the harvest, like you don't reap in the same season mm-hmm. that you sow, right? So we're doing a lot of sowing. And we know the harvest will happen. I think the difficulty in this market is I'm not sure when the harvest is coming. Right, right. Is right. it May 10th when Barry Habib says that, uh, you know, disinflation shows up? Or is it, you know, first quarter of 2024? I, you know, I think I'm as educated as anybody be out there. I can't give you a straight answer. I don't know. So I yeah. think the difficulty in this market, it's kind of like being in an Ironman. I don't know if I'm halfway through the endurance contest or if I'm a mile left from the finish line. I got to put my head down and sprint. So. I think managing all the emotions that go around, that's one of the challenges. And then the reality is, what do you have to do differently than you used to do to be able to get to a consumer if you truly want to grow your business? And, and, uh, you know, sometimes growth doesn't show up on the scoreboard right away. You touched on something that's pretty cool. I mean, like, how do you manage your emotions? Sort of a two-part question there is like, one, how do you manage your emotions, you know, as a person? And then secondarily, how do you, you know, then coach, you know, your team, your district, your region, whatever, like, how do you coach the loan officers that are under your care to do the same thing? I mean, I'm a big advocate of mindset and keeping your mindset strong, but like, what does that look like from those two perspectives? 
Yeah, I think I've learned in my own life, things are as you choose to see them, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a choice on which mindset you want to get. But, you know, I'm probably like many people. I don't know that I wake up naturally happy and ready to go and look forward to all the challenges that lay in front of us in today's marketplace, right? It's a grind. We all have to admit that. So for me, you know, and and we've heard that within our industry, mornings matter and all those types of stuff. I can't tell you how true that's become in my own life. I think if Mm -hmm. there's stuff I didn't do 15 years ago, that would have made me better. It was, I didn't have a healthy morning routine. I was a guy that, you know, alarm clock went off and I wasn't sleeping in. I was getting up early, but I was getting up early and going right to doing things as opposed to like, take the time to get you right. And so right. I have a pretty devout routine that I follow in the morning to make sure that I get me right. And uh, it's some quiet time. It's some physical activity. It's some journaling. Um, you know, I think Mike shared on his podcast, right? The core four before the door, it's body being balanced business. It's kind of in that order. You know, if I go get my body moving and then I take care of my mind and then I get some quiet time to get my thoughts out and journal, then I can dive into business. I'm better for me. And if I'm better for me, I'm going to be better for everybody else that needs the best of me. And so for me, that's something I've worked really hard at over the last four or five years. And, and I think some of the things I've heard too, like, you know, our ability to continue to grow largely is centered around the ability to handle stress. Yep. And uh, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about Richard Branson, right? You know, the, the owner, founder of Virgin and all the different companies. And I think the stat was like, he's the nameplate on like 400 different companies at any given time and can be personally named in 120 different lawsuits at any given moment, right? You just think about that. You and I were talking about lawsuits before this all started, like, mm-hmm. you know, so his ability to handle stress has allowed him to kind of grow. And I think these hard markets, I don't think we should lose sight of the development it's getting for us and our ability to navigate and handle hard things. And it's in the ability to handle hard things that makes you better if you'll use it for that. If not, you can have the mindset like, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Or you can say, hey, man, I'm glad it's hard because it's going to make me better. And I'm going to do the things necessary to be better. So mindset's a choice. I mean, I've learned that. It's not natural. It's something you got to work out, just like going to the gym. If you don't work it out, gravity's going to pull you down probably more easily than it would lift you up. So mm-hmm. That's 100% right. And you talked about Richard Branson. I was listening to a Tony Robbins interview, and he talked about how, again, you're talking about stress. Like I think he has ownership in about 100 companies as well, some either partial or full ownership of some of these companies. And he talked about like the level of stress and, you know, when the pandemic happened, right. When all the, like, you know, lots of those businesses shut down and like, he's like, I had to make sure that my mind was right because I also had to make sure that everybody else's mind was right. in this whole time, right. Like, and like, how do we figure out how to like, not have to let people go and how do we have to navigate a market? I'm like, we're talking about pressure. I got one company that I got to deal with and like you know, 15, 16 people on the team. Like he's talking about a hundred companies with probably thousands of people that he has to like worry about and like, you know, worry about their families and, you know, their salaries and like, you know, do I have to let them go? Like, you know, all those types of things, like that's the level of stress that like he's grown to. And so that's like perspective as well of like, you know, the little things that we're dealing with in a market like this, like, you know, also the perspective of like, we live in the U S like, you know, the poorest of the poor in our country still have cell phones. Right. Like that's, what's crazy is like, we don't even have to deal with like, you know, finding clean water. We don't have to worry about like, you know, finding our next meal. Like we know like where that's going to be. And so that already gives us like the perspective and the blessings um, that we need to. And I love that you talked about the mindset because like, it's huge. So in that regard, like, is that sort of like what you, you train on in in terms of like your team? Like, does it come down to just, Hey, like, it's what you got to do. Cause it, Sometimes it feels a little woo-woo and like weird to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I I think when I was first introduced to it, it felt like woo-woo, right? Like you're like, ah, come on, I don't know, really? 
But yeah. I, I know for us with our team, we started coaching through this, and it was really from a position of vulnerability. Like, hey, let me tell you what we've got through or, or going through. Sure. Let's just share and we're going to share some of the things that we've learned along the way. And if they fit, try them on. You know, if they don't fit, then, you know, go figure out you. But this is really important. So there's a couple of things that I think that we've done really well and our people have given us feedback that they really appreciate. One was we started these high five calls in the middle of COVID when everybody was kind of getting disconnected and you didn't have the in-office feeling and check in. You sure. could see the person next to you, you didn't know how they were doing. And so the high five was really meant for us to log into a virtual format like this and check in and high five each other. And uh, what it turned into was kind of sharing stuff. And so we do these high fives three times a week. They're five to 15 minutes. They almost always go 15 minutes because you know, do it completely voluntary, but we still have about 80 to 90% of our folks log in on a routine, regular basis. And nice. so now it's come into like where Michael lead one and I'll lead one. And then we have one of our team members lead one. And it's usually self-talk, right? Like, what are you going through? And did you figure it out or are you struggling with it? And it's amazing mm -hmm. to see how much closer our group's gotten in that. And it's been really fun. I think some of the most impactful ones, quite frankly, aren't when Mike and I share. It's when our group shares, when our team members share. And it's fun to watch them grow. So I think that's something that we've done. And I would say more than 50% of the time, it's mindset related, you know, and are you ready for the day and getting ready? I think it's made a difference. I think our group is resilient and uh, I don't think we're immune to what's taking place in the marketplace, but I think because of the mindset we've developed, we're better insulated. Sure. I think ignoring the market is madness, right? Like, I mean, that's just like trying to be ignorant, but like also knowing like there's somewhere in your brain that you know is a tough market, right? Like, so that's a very legitimate thing. I think it's okay to acknowledge the market but also not make that the excuse for like not taking the actions that are required. And we both know that like what's required to win in this market and in the hard markets like this for anybody, like not just the mortgage industry, but anybody who's in this market right now, it's hard. It's a harder market for any industry that we're in right now, because like people are getting a little tighter, you know, they don't want to spend money because, you know, inflation's happening and it's costing more money to do everything. So in any industry, like it's hard, but what do you do? Like you can't control interest rates, you can't control inflation, you can't control any of those things. And so all you have is controlling of yourself and the way that you approach your business. And I think it starts at the foundation of it all is mindset. And I love you talked about the morning routines over the years, like when I first got into being an entrepreneur, I thought it was weird, right? I come from a, you know, was raised Christian, you know, missionary kid, like very kind of like anti kind of was like, oh, that's all woo-woo stuff. Doesn't really, but like I realized a lot of it was actually like from the Bible. Like a lot of the stuff they talk about was like really biblical and talking about routines and and really kind of guarding your time. And I really kind of started to go into that. And I've seen this myself because I've gone through the stages of like not being consistent. So I'll like do be doing my morning routine. I go to the gym. I, you know, do my breath work and I do all those things and then I'll fall off of it. And all of a sudden I start to get to this point where like, I don't feel good and I'm eating like crap. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, like what happened? And so you start to think about like, how did I feel when I felt good? Well, here's the things that I was doing. I was eating well, I was getting good sleep. I was going to the gym daily. And then like, all of a sudden you're like, why am I not doing those things? And it really does play a massive impact. And I'll just say like, we just recently had a baby you know, eight weeks ago. And so this year I basically committed, I'm going to the gym five days a week and then when I go to the gym, I basically sit in my car and I just do some breath work to just kind of keep me relaxed and all that kind of stuff. So I do that every single morning. And when we had the baby, obviously that all got thrown out the window for at least a couple of weeks. And I really, I really felt the difference in just literally two weeks of not being able to do that. I felt a massive, massive difference in my 
emotional stability and my like just my energy all of that stuff and it's just it's incredible to just like literally be able to see side by side i went you know whatever three and a half months consistently doing this bulletproof mindset to <laughs> literally within two weeks i was like already having way higher anxiety and all those things so I just, it's a testament to like how much it actually works and like having those routines and taking care of yourself, like really, really, really has an impact. Yeah. You talked about things that can disrupt your routine, right? You had a big life event and you had on a child, right? That's going to mm -hmm. disrupt things for a while. So I think for me, it's the awareness. And then what are the safeguards that I put in place to make sure that I reboot quicker than I would if I didn't have an awareness, right? Right. And so. I think everybody's got to figure out what those are and then choose to acknowledge them so that you don't walk off the path too far drift, right? We always say that I think the danger in the routines is the drift, right? The drift shows up as missed one gym session that turned into two, that turned into three, that turned into a week, that turned into two weeks. And in that, you're right. bad and pretty soon you're off the path that far. So mm -hmm. I think it's whatever you got to do to protect you from the drift. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because like you do, you get up in the morning and you don't want to get up like, I get up at five, sometimes four forty-five to go to the gym, so I can be at the gym by five thirty, so I can do my breath work and be in the gym at five fifty, so I can be home by you know at the latest seven o'clock to get the kids ready for school and all that stuff, right? And so it's not like I wake up every morning. I'm like, oh, I could just sleep a little bit longer, but like I just committed. I'm like, I used to be like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. Now the what I tell myself is like, I do this to protect my mindset. Like I, this is why I do this. It's like I know that this is what's going to help my mindset. I don't love going to the gym every day. Some days I don't work out as hard as others. Right. I, yeah. I just, but I know that if I follow and I just do the thing that it's going to protect my mind more than anything, obviously, it, you know, it helps your physical body as well. And, you know, that's good as well, but it's just a big mindset thing. Um, it's a massive, massive opportunity for people to really optimize their performance. I mean, cause you got to think about like, you know, I think we talked about this with Mike, but like the people that are like, you know, severely overweight, right? Like they're having success in like all the parts of their life and then they're severely overweight. Then like what? You can't pick up your kids. You can't, you know, you can't walk five minutes without getting winded. Like all those types of things. Like, do you really want to have all the money in the world and like not have your health? And I, yeah. and I think just having that holistic view is such a powerful concept. And I know you guys have a lot of cool concepts there. So talk about like, how do you sort of like make sure that that's balanced in terms of like the different areas of your life and how do you sort of protect each of those areas um, as much as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think at number one, it starts with the desire to want to be balanced, right? And, sure. and you got to choose to want the balance and then you got to be intentional about finding it. And I think for me, it's been learning to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. You know, in our business, we always want to help people, right? But in your desire to want to help, sometimes you can say yes to too many things and then one other area falls out of balance. I mean, I, sure. you know, I was driving in my truck the other day and I ended up having a low tire, right? And it's really cool because while you're driving, the left tire signal came on. So not only did it tell me I had a low tire, it told me which tire was left, right? And so I knew I had to stop and fill up my left front tire because that's the gauge going off. Mm -hmm. I wish in life we had that gauge, right? You know, sure. you could have your relational gauge, your professional gauge, your physical gauge, and maybe your mental gauge over here. And like wherever you were out of balance or low on, it would just go off and you'd be like, oh, let me just pull over and I'll just fill that up real quick. But it doesn't right. work that way. And so I, I think that it's being intentional with each of those areas and how you're going to spend the time. And if you get out of balance, make sure it's intentional. out of balance. And you can be out of balance for a window, but then you got to build a boundary in. So like, let's say, you know, you know, work's a grind right now and you're going to have to really work hard for the next 75 to 90 days. And you give yourself permission to be out of balance temporary, you can go burn, right? For 75, 90 days. But at some point in time, you got to come back and find balance. If not, 
those other areas of your life are going to fall apart, become flat, or maybe irreparable, right? And so right. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how often I've ever been fully balanced, but it's the effort to try and be that it's close enough. I mean, it's no different like driving in the truck, man. When my tires are properly inflated and balanced, the ride's a lot better. And I can go a lot faster. And it's a lot more enjoyable than if I got one flat tire or God forbid two or three or four. So, you know, I think it starts with intention and then finding out what routine works for you to be intentional in those areas. So there's things you can do, you know, for me, I want to go to the gym every day, you know, and get the good hour long workout and sweat. My favorite reward sitting in the sun at the end, just kind of sweat, get ready for the day. But there are times in my life where that's not feasible. So my non-negotiable for the physical part is I got to sweat for 10 minutes every day. No matter where I'm at, what I'm at, what's going on in my life. If I sweat for 10 minutes every day in my life, I'm never going to go backwards. I might not have huge gains, but I kind of think of it like in the stock market, having no down days and only up days. And so that's my non-negotiable. And then, you know, on the being stuff, it's just being really intentional about your relationships, right? And for me, I think like the helpful Honda guy commercials, they're not doing these magnanimous things. They're like leaving a note or saying, hey, we wanted to help you today. So I know for my kids, I'll text them a message and be really intentional about that or leave them a note or send them a quick video. Hey, you know, I'm at work, busy. I was just thinking about you. Like little things like that that you get. And I don't know if it's working because they don't come back and say, oh my gosh, right? But I know I'm right. planting seeds and doing that. And same thing with the spouse and if you know, do those things. And then you know, for me, the journaling part is another way. So I journal for 10 minutes every day. It's a non-negotiable for me because sometimes I'm getting great ideas out and maybe more importantly, I'm getting negative stuff out. So sometimes the journals, you know, like the bad stuff out so I can leave it behind. And then, you know, for the business side of it, it's, did I spend 10 minutes today to learn something about my business I didn't know yesterday? And I think that's something that we fall trapped to. I've been in business 30 years, right? And if you're not careful, you get complacent thinking you know everything. Like I've forgotten more than I'm, I'm, you know, learning at this point. And so I need to be intentional about making sure I'm current and relevant. And I need to do that for the clients we serve, for our team members that we serve, and for our industry as a whole. So, you know, you think it's this big, huge task and it's really, it's 40 minutes of my day if I'm really intentional about it on my non-negotiables. Now, I'd love to have more time in each of those areas, but for me, non-negotiable, it's 40 minutes. Yeah. And that makes it easy too. Cause like, you know, people are like, well, I don't have time. It's like, you don't have 40 minutes that you can apply to that. Right. Like, you know, yeah, sure. You would love to have two hours, but if you don't have two hours, I mean, you know, you have 40 minutes, you know, you can find 40 minutes, you can get up 40 minutes earlier, right? Like, you know, spend 40 minutes less watching TV. Cause I'm sure people are doing that or scrolling social media or something like that. And, and I love it because like one of our core values is continual pursuit of perfection, which doesn't mean that we are, <laughs> by any means seeking perfection, but it just basically means that we are continually looking to improve. And so I do think there's not like this place where you arrive when you're like all of a sudden, like the perfectly balanced person and you do everything right. And because I just think that's a continual pursuit. I think it's always going to be about improving um, because if you don't, like if you aren't continually looking to improve, it's just, you're going to go backwards. You're going to stagnate. We talked about that with, uh, you know, like, Hey, you got your non-negotiables. So it's like, Hey, at the very least I'm you know doing this amount of time every single day. I will say journaling has probably been my one area that I really need to actually do. I was gonna say do more of, but I very rarely that I do it. It just, I don't know. It's like always like a drag to me. It's like, so, but I do know it's it, super important. Well, I started doing it too. Kind of like when we opened the call with, I thought it was kind of, you know, hoo-hoo stuff. I'm like, ah, I don't know, you know, but then uh, as I've gone back and reread the journals, I'm like, ah, you know, that was cathartic. I was getting something out or man, that's an idea. I probably wouldn't have come up with that. I not stopped in the journal. So I don't go into the journaling session with a predetermined idea of what I'm going to journal. I sit down and like, whatever is on my mind is what gets put in the journal. And so, you know, if, if I'm in a creative mode, 
and sometimes I get great ideas if I'm in a mental space that I got a course correct. Sometimes it's getting the dark stuff out so you can address it. So, you know, it's, yeah. for me, it's, it's been super helpful and it's been really insightful to go back and read a journal I did two years ago or three years ago to kind of see the person I was back then and then kind of compare notes today too. So it's, it's a little bit of a measuring process too. It is. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it is fun to go back and look at, you know, old ways that you kind of acted or what your goals were at the time and be like, oh, I like slammed all those goals, right? Like, or like, those are no longer important to me type thing. Or like, I can't believe that was stressing me out. Now I'm dealing with X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? Like, I just think back to like when I first started and like the size of the problems that I thought were problems back then versus like the things that I've had to deal with over the last year, it's just like, oh man, like, but those were all little hard times that were like preparing me to like, you know, the bigger they got, really the more you improve and the more you, grow as a business and things like that like the bigger the size of the problems right like you know it's just like things just get bigger and bigger like the monetary cost is higher the time cost is higher those all things tend to like happen as like you continue to grow and i think we forget to look back at how much we've grown we're always like well i need to grow faster i need to get there faster and it's like well like let's actually look at like where you've gone how quickly that's happened and it's a good way that's, to that's really important too because i think like if you're a driven personality when you get to the destination, you're like, okay, good. I got here. Now what's next? Right. Yeah. Like, Cause you're driven. Like I set the destination cause I knew I was going to get there. So yep. I know for me, I'm guilty of not celebrating enough, you know, like, well, I knew we were going to get there. I didn't know when, but I knew we were going to get there. Okay. So now the next mountaintop or whatever the next goal is. And so the journaling yep. has helped me look back and reflect like what you just said and, and say, Oh, you know what? I am getting better. I am growing. I have gotten, you know, yep. uh, deeper in, in a lot of areas so it's been healthy for me and i started off not being a believer so for all you guys out there <laughs> that are non-believers in journaling man i'm telling you if you haven't tried it try it i wouldn't overthink it just sit down and write down what comes to your mind for five minutes and you know call it a day it could be easy as simple as even like putting it into like probably like a phone note just type it out real quick if yeah. if you you know don't want to sit down on a pen and paper so i mean i think you know maybe it's just excuses that i've been creating in my own mind about why i don't want to do it but uh Again, I mean, I know how powerful it is because I've done it in the past. I just haven't, you know, it's, it hasn't been something I did like long-term. I do it in spurts. I mean, I love all this conversation, but let's kind of try to take a tactical approach. I think this is all really, I mean, mindset is the most important foundation for anything that we do. And without the right mindset, nothing works. What's like a strategy or a tactic or something that like a loan officer can do today, or maybe something you guys are actively working on right now that's working to get more traction, to gain business right now in the market like we're in today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things being tried. The thing that keeps coming to mind for me is, are we doing things right or are we doing the right things? And I think markets that shift, maybe we don't always have the right answer to, are we doing the right things? But I know for us, the things that we are doing that are working is we've gone way wider than we've ever gone before. We're trying to expand to reach new partners and increase our ability to get in front of them earlier. You know, that's that one to many kind of strategy. Sure. And that's a little bit contrarian to kind of like my whole career where it was like go deeper with fewer. But if you go deeper with fewer right now, unless those fewer are growing their market share, you're not going to grow because the opportunities are a little bit limited in just the scope right, of what's right. out there. So I think the things that are working there is expanding your horizon and your message to more people and figuring out what medium you want to use to get there. You know, and there's a lot of different ways to do that things that we've done well is we've created some webinars to go educate people so we can get in front of more consumers that are interested about what they're hearing in the media. And so we started sure. a webinar series called the State of the Housing Market, Facts, Not Feelings. 
so that we could just go through the underlying fundamentals. That's helped us get in the front of a lot more consumers. I think we've made somewhere north of a million and a half impressions, you know, with people that have been reached or touched or something wow. along those lines. How are you promoting those? Are you promoting them to like people you know or real estate agents are helping you or is this like direct to consumer? A little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, it started off organically, quite frankly, in our own database just to go educate the people that we've already helped. And we were sure. getting a lot of questions about, you know, some of the sensational headlines out there. And then we started to promote socially via Facebook and, you know, using some geo-targeting things. And then we certainly had promotion at the corporate level where Mike and I were doing it on behalf of Churchill as a whole and uh, trying to bring it in for everybody. But it wasn't birthed out of the idea of let's go get more business because of this. It was really birthed out of the idea of let's go educate people and help them understand the market. And what's really cool about that is if you do that from a genuine position of wanting to help them, you organically grow because now they're gravitating to you because you genuinely wanted to help them. So yeah. Yeah, I have to dive in to look at what our cumulative database has grown to, but we've gotten more people in our database and then we put them into an incubation system. You know, we use HomeBot, love HomeBot. I think it's one of the best tools nice. out there to incubate people and put fence posts around your clients. It's valuable information. And so that was one of the metrics we looked like is where are we going to place all these people to hold them? And then how do we communicate with them? And the whole theory behind that was getting in front of them before the need and then give them value before they need you. So that when they do need you, that there's nobody else that they really want to call. And uh, yep. that's working. You know, it's a gradual effect. It hasn't been this bam, like we just tripled our production. It's been like, we're not losing as much production as everybody else. <laughs> and that's the first yeah. one. And now it's starting to grow and we're starting to reap the benefits. And as the opportunities do start to come back to the market, I think we are seeing a higher level of conversion. In that. So I think that's one of the ideas. And then the other idea is like, you know, I think sometimes you just got to be really extraordinary at the ordinary. And we miss sight of that. Like, you know, this is a great time to go back and revamp your processes. Like, are you a mastery yep. at the discovery call? Like, are you, you know, are you a mastery at the strategy call? You know, are you a mastery at a partner interview? Do you have a lead funnel, you know, that's outside of a partner thing, you know, speaking your language, you know, you know, I've had conversations yeah. about that too. I think people need to look at all the horizons to build a stable business. And this is where you get out of the hustler mindset into the entrepreneur, maybe even the CEO mindset is where does your business come from? And where do you need to be a year from now or five years from now to continue to pour into your business in those ways? So, you know, the state of the housing, something that's worked really well for us. And even now the message is shifting. So we're having to revamp that and looking at different medium points to push that out to continue to grow, to get in front of more people. Man, I love it. There's a lot of good things you just talked about. I mean, first and foremost, I'm assuming the next training is going to be about Joe Biden's LLPAs or what? Yeah, right. We got, <laughs> we got a couple of, you know, a social posts and then we've got, our next uh, state of the housing is coming up May 10th. We uh, strategically picked that date for a couple of reasons. One, we'll have FOMC meetings, minutes, sure. and, and all the sensationalism that will come from that next week. And then May 10th is, you know, where maybe some of the disinflation numbers start to show up. So our next state of the housing is geared around that. And, and uh, right now it's a hosted webinar. And then we push it out live on Facebook and some other things like that. But uh, so you do we'll, once a we'll month. See. You know, LPAs will certainly be a discussion point. Right. Yeah. I'm just joking because I know it's been like a big thing for the last couple of weeks. Like, oh, well, you know, the people with bad credit are getting subsidized by the people with good credit. And, you know, now it's more expensive to be a, you know, it's like, well, I think there's always half truths, but uh, it's not really well, the truth. So. If that argument was true, then the whole FHA system's debunked, right? Because you pay mortgage insurance to protect against the default. So anybody that's right. ever gotten FHA insurance is subsidized to people that don't pay. That's right. the whole premise behind it, right? And that's yeah. what people just yeah. don't understand. And maybe they don't want to. Luke, maybe they just don't want to understand. So yeah, it's been fun to wow. 
to talk to some of the people. And so, you know, our CEO, Matt Clark said one time, cause we were talking about the LLPAs and one of the people asked question, like, do you really want to stir the pot? Right? Like, cause it could become political if you're not careful. And he goes, I don't want to stir the pot. I just want to tell people what's in the pot. And I think that's our job. Like, you know, I'm not picking yeah. a side here. I'm just going to tell you how it works and how it may or may not indirectly impact you. Oh, hundred percent. And you have to, because you have to show up as a leader. You have to show up as that expert in that space. And I think, uh, you know, it's sometimes, I know we talked about this with Mike because uh, we, I talked about like, I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of these topics are boring. Like how do you turn some of these sort of like more boring topics into interesting conversation? And, you know, he had some good points in that conversation around like, like how do you create compelling and interesting webinars around, you know, what most people would consider boring. And maybe you can sort of touch on that real quick before we kind of close out here. Yeah. I think for us, you know, we try and get on the same side of the table and look at the same perspective that the people that we're trying to serve might be looking at. So, you know, there's three people that we believe we serve. There's certainly the consumer at the end of the process, right? The current homeowner or wannabe homeowner. And we have to win at that experience that we provide. And then there's the partner experience and the people that trust us to refer people. And then there's our own team members, right? So we got to win. We're in the experience business. We just happen to do mortgages, right? And the experiences we have to win at are the consumer, the partner, and our team member. And so I think for us, it's understanding the pain or the problem that is present in the marketplace today and making sure that we identify it and maybe even articulate it in a way that uh, other people can't articulate it for themselves. But when you say it, they're like, yes, that's the problem. And then we talk about the path or the possibility of moving away from the problem and then helping them make them a healthy decision. So mm-hmm. I think as we've looked through that lens and sort of taken that approach, it's really helped us kind of shape messages that are meeting people where they are, you know? And so, you know, sure. I think one of the big challenges in today's marketplace, affordability, right? And then people want to know, is it safe? Should sure. I buy? Should I sell? Should I hold? Should I buy and hold? Like, you know, you got all these people, you got a bunch of people that probably want a different house, but then they're doing the math decision in their head. Like I'm on a two, seven, five, 30 year fixed. I want to go to a six something. And I know I want a better house, but my mortgage is literally going to double. Should I, can I like all these things are in the consumer's mindset. And then the partners are worried about the same thing. So when we go step on the pain in the marketplace, I think we become relevant. And then our job is to find out is there a path forward that's healthy and safe for them and help them walk that path? So they come to their own conclusion. Like I'm not going to sell anybody on anything. I just want to be a guy that helps them come to their own conclusion. And when we do that, I think we all win. Right. And sometimes that means you leave people where they're at. You're like, no, you're good. Clean bill of health. You got a good checkup. So. Well, what I'll say is like, I think that is sales 101 in my opinion. Like that's the type of sales I like. It's like, it's all about understanding the person and their pain and then if the solution that you provide is the solution that's best for them, then I think you should, you know, tell them why it makes sense. Right. But if it's not, then you don't, right. Like that's ethical sales. I just think we've gotten kind of been conditioned by this sort of, you know, old school type of, you know, let's pitch everybody and, you know, put people into situations they shouldn't be into. Cause I don't believe that that's true sales. I think that's just, you know, being a slime ball, you know yeah. what I mean? But uh, you know, at the end of the day, like loan officers, are the experts, right? Like the consumer doesn't know anything. They do one transaction every, whatever, five years, 10 years. They don't know the best time to buy. They don't know any of that stuff. So I love that you guys are showing up as leaders and then telling people like why it does make sense to buy in this market if they fit this specific criteria of, you know, hey, maybe they have good income, down payment credit, that type of stuff. Like still a good time to buy as long as you're not looking to sell in a year. Maybe that's not going to be a good time to buy. I don't know. 
but it's going to be determined based off of them and what they're actively doing. So I think just understanding each specific situation is the key to, I don't know, sales in general. And um, I'm a big advocate of that sort of sales. Like, Hey, like you can create some pressure, but only when it makes sense for that person, Mm -hmm. because I do think that there is a lot of fear in the marketplace and yeah, you're not going to like force someone to do anything but you can create a compelling argument as to why they should do something in this market. And then, you know, at the end of the day, they do have to make the decision themselves. Any sort of parting words of wisdom for anybody who's listening, maybe about this market mindset, whatever it is, just any parting words. Yeah. I think acknowledging that the market's got its challenges and then understanding what it needs to meet those challenges. And, you know, what I said earlier too, I think make sure you don't lose your long-term mindset while you're navigating Mm -hmm. the short-term and the short-term requires us to behave a little bit differently and do things that maybe we're uncomfortable with, but don't lose sight of what you really want long-term because I think that leads you to make decisions based on short-term itis. And then you're going to wake up 10 years from now and you're going to say, I wish I would have versus I'm glad I did. Right. And I think for us, that's one of the things we try and help people reframe. Like, Hey, what do you want to say is true one year from now that you can't say is true right now? And then why is that important to you? And then let's look five years out and let's look 10 years out. And if you hold on to like what your five-year and 10-year truths are and you line up that way, it's going to help you navigate the short term a lot better. And then just be bold. You know, I think for us, I got asked the question the other day, interviewing a potential candidate that's looking to join the team. And he asked the question, like, what do you see your top performers do that maybe your average performers don't do? And I stepped back and thought about it for a second. But really, I think the difference is a couple of things. Number one is they do the right things consistently mm-hmm. over time. I see so many people start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. But yep. the, the people that do it really well do the right things consistently, daily, over a long period of time. And then the other one I see is they're quick to implement. They're quick to implement yep. things they need to do. And so those two things combined, I think, are where the differentiation happens at the production levels from somebody that's good versus somebody that's moving into that great category. So, and then perseverance, man, I I just don't think perseverance can be uh, underrated in a market like this today. It's kind of like the mortgage hunger games, right? You can either be the person that hears the gong or you're the gong, right? And so I think it's making sure you get the right mindset that there's going to be a harvest. It's going to be great for all of us. And we got to help the consumer navigate a challenging market because of the psyche that's out there. You talked about fear. So, That'd be my encouragement. I love this business. I love helping customers. I love helping our team members grow. I love the industry. I've got so many friends in there that have helped me along the way and we share best practices. So hopefully this is uh, giving some people some insight. We've helped along the way and would love to help anybody. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, to kind of keep going on that, like if someone does want to reach out, wants to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing, maybe have a conversation, whatever, like what's the best place for them to sort of reach out to you, learn a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, email certainly works. Mike and Rick at churchillmortgage.com is our team email. You can certainly do that. We're on all the social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. So, you know, for me, Luke, I think one of the best benefits I've ever enjoyed of this business is collecting friendships along the way. And I think mortgage companies are like vehicles that help loan officers get to where they want to be. And sometimes you get to pick the vehicle you need to be in. And sometimes we're in different vehicles waving at each other from different spots. So, you know, regardless of where that goes, I think, you know, I've had so many people pour into me along the way, regardless of whether it worked for them or didn't work for them. And so Mike and I sort of adopted that principle too. We just love giving back and helping people. And sometimes that means they think, man, I want to join you guys. So 
that's how we've grown our team. And I think our retention has been really great because we continue to take that. We consider ourselves servant leaders. And the reality is somebody wants to join it. I got to determine if I can help you get where you want to go. If that's true, then, sure. then it's usually a good fit. But, uh, you know, we'd love to connect in any way. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, for me, I think my, you know, the big takeaways from, you know, what we talked about today is, I mean, we talked about a lot about consistency, persistence, like those activities, but it's just the daily grind, especially in a market like today, it's going to be really hard for us to, you know, be sustained or sustainable in a market like today, if we're not being persistent and consistent with the actions that we're taking on a daily basis. Yeah, it's really tough to do that. So I think the consistency was good, but it goes back to that mindset piece, right? And I, we've talked about this on several podcasts, uh, you know, probably 50% of the podcasts that I've done have mentioned mindset in some regard. And I just think this is a testament to, you know, top producers understand that mindset is the key to really everything because like, if you don't have the right mindset, it doesn't matter what actions you take. The actions probably won't have the effect that you want them to. And so like, you know, again, you know, really sort of living out your habits and the habits are really going to start to really have a massive impact in your life. So you, if you're listening to this, you're just getting started, or maybe you're in the business, you're struggling, whatever it is right now, I think there's a massive opportunity for you to reframe the way you view the struggles that you're going through as opportunities. And then obviously, you know, sharpening your mindset so that you're able to take advantage of the opportunities that are going to present themselves because, you know, what goes down will come up, right? So we've seen that with the cycles, the downs and the ups, you know, there's going to be a, you know, even if it's not as big of a boom as 20 and 21, there will be a little time where rates will come down at some point and there's going to be some little refis. There's going to be a lot of business, you know, and there's going to be a time where there's going to be, you know, some ability to make some business. But I think the opportunities to get there or being built now, I think the consistency right now in this market is going to allow us to, I mean, what, what say you, Rick, as we kind of close out here? Yeah, it reminds me of a conversation I used to have with my dad. You know, I'd probably be up there complaining or talking about some situation or whatever. And he'd just sit back and listen. He was a man of few words, but then he said, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? I think this is a market. Like it's the reality is, so what are you going to do about it? Right. And I think, uh, in that, when you start to take action, it starts to put you back in control of your circumstances instead of mm -hmm. under the circumstances, right? And so Love it. I think, man, this is a market of action. So take action, be okay with failure, right? And, uh, you know, be consistent, guard your mindset and know that, you know, there's a lot of people winning today, right? And it's, it's, yep. it depends on, like we talked about, how you choose to see things. So, you know, I, th Absolutely. I think this business is amazing. And we get to help people with, uh, you know, one of their, top five or top 10 moments in their life. So don't underestimate the value that we bring in that process too. And the need for us in that process, because a lot of media is telling you we're not needed, right? AI, all that sure. stuff. I just completely disagree with most of that. So. Sure. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, thank you so much, Rick, for your time today and, and really, you know, taking the time to bring all of this value to anybody who's listening. And even for myself, I always learn a ton from these interviews, from these podcasts, just, you know, I really enjoy them. And uh, thank you so much for, again, taking the time out of your busy day, you know, to pour into other people. Uh, it's really valuable. So, and then for anybody who is listening, take action, do the work, understand that it may not pay off right away, but the actions that you're taking today are going to start to pay off if you're consistent enough with that. So thank you so much for listening. And if you are interested in learning a little bit more about how we're helping loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. 
This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.